0: We've basically made the best of our situation. There are stressful times, but I definitely stress to my children that somebody always has something.
1: What is it like to be the mom of not one, but two children with congenital heart disease? How can you manage epilepsy in a child with congenital heart defects? Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of your program. I'm also a heart mom. My son, Alexander, was born with a critical congenital heart defect. He's had three open heart surgeries and is post fontan He is my inspiration and the reason I'm the host of your program. Today's show features a very informed heart mom. Our episode is entitled Juggling Tetralogy of Fallot and Epilepsy. Melanie Letzer is a geriatric nurse practitioner. She lives in Maryland with her husband, Jack, and their three children. Her older son, Freddie, now 16, was born with Tetralogy of Fallot with pulmonary atresia with multiple aortopulmonary collateral arteries, also called MAPCAS. Her younger son, Nicholas, now five, was born with Tetralogy of Fallot or TOF and later developed epilepsy. Melanie and John also have a heart-healthy daughter, Alexandra, who is 13. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Melanie Letzer. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm interested to learn so much more about what you are dealing with because this is really complicated. Let's start by learning about your son, Freddie. In the intro, we learned that Freddie has Tetralogy of Fallot, and we can say TOF now. So everybody, TOF means Tetralogy of Fallot but he also has pulmonary atresia with the multiple aortopulmonary collateral arteries, which is such a mouthful. Thank goodness they call those MAPCAs. That's a lot easier to say. When did you learn about his CHD and what was the newborn period like for him?
0: Well, we were fortunate enough to learn about his heart defect in utero at our 19 week ultrasound. We were diagnosed at another hospital during our 19 week ultrasound, they thought he had actually truncus arteriosus. But when I've been listening to your podcast, I heard others say, you just know something's wrong. Luckily, my husband was with me, but they kept circling the heart. And Mm. I just had a feeling there's something wrong. And I asked the technician and she's like, there's something with the heart. And she went out and obviously got the radiologist and they confirmed, but they couldn't give us a definite diagnosis at our 19 week ultrasound. Oh
1: gosh. When the baby's born, the baby's heart is the size of a walnut. So at 19 exactly. weeks gestation, it's teeny, teeny tiny. Small. Yeah. So, wow. It's amazing to me that even only at 19 weeks, they were able to determine. So that must've terrified you as a nurse.
0: Right. And our first child. And um, your first child. Yeah. Right. We ended up getting an amniocentesis because I wanted to be prepared if there were other chromosome issues. Because we were told we had, I believe, a one in three chance of DeGeorge. Mm-hmm. And it was highly likely, I think one in two, that he could have had Down syndrome, which would not yeah. have changed the outcome. And you know yet. what? Information is power. Exactly. We wanted to know. So we did find out and we were fortunate that the heart defect was our only issue at the time. And we ended up asking the cardiologist, where else would you go? And they recommended a hospital in Philadelphia. And so we ended up going to get a consult there and they were able to give us the diagnosis of Tetralogy of Fallot with pulmonary atresia and At 19 Um, weeks, they were able to be that specific? No, like a month later. Oh, okay. I was going to say, still,
1: wow, that would be amazing, especially 16 years ago, because they didn't have the 3D imaging that they do now. Right. It was
0: definitely like a month later where we were able to finally get the definite diagnosis. But we didn't know about how many the MAPGIS, like there can be one. Or there can be more than one. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until Freddie was born that we nice. actually found out through echo when he was born and a cardiac cast 40s after he was born that he had the MAPGIS that involved three. I thought exactly. a lot of
1: times the MAPCAS came after they were born. I didn't realize they would
0: develop in utero as well. Right. With the whole circulation, the body knows. It's amazing. This baby develops like that. It's just amazing.
1: It is amazing. Now you were a nurse, but you weren't a pediatric cardiology nurse. Did you no. her down and get some resources to try and
0: understand this better? In Philadelphia, they did have a very... Informed nurse that kind of helped answer questions and pointed you in the right direction. I had a lot of support making the decision where we were going to operate because in Maryland, we're blessed to be among so many great hospitals. Oh, yeah. um, Absolutely. It was between two when we chose to go to the hospital in Philadelphia because they did have a CICU. As a nurse, I wanted to have somewhere where they specialize just in cardiac when a baby's born. What surgeries or interventions did he have and where did those take place? Basically, when he was a month old, he had what's called failure to thrive. Mm-hmm. So that's when he had to have an NG tube, which is a little tube that goes in the nose into the stomach because he wasn't growing. So that was our first stop in the hospital. And we were there just a couple of days while we learned how to do tube feeding. And as a nurse practitioner, I felt more comfortable, I think, than some moms that have never had to put in a NG tube in their baby and feed. Right. Um, because so those I little felt-
1: babies have teeny tiny fingers reach up and pull those tubes out. So you have to know how
0: to put it in, don't you? Exactly. And I think also as a nurse practitioner, having to give your baby these medications that you're used to people older taking. Mm. And I think he was on six or seven different medications. Mm. It was a lot, but I knew this was temporary, thank goodness. And so his first surgery was cardiac cath basically at four days old. And then he had another one just before surgery to kind of know his anatomy and circulation and where the mapcas were supplying the Mm -hmm. lung basically. So he had the cardiac cath and Freddie develops these fevers after these subsequent casts. Mm -hmm. He's had a total of five, but he had four before the age of three. And after the initial one when he was four days old, he developed these high fevers where he went up to 105.
2: And it was just
0: his reaction, I believe, to the dye. Not many other children have had that reaction. And so the cardiologist said, Frederick exhibits strange reactions. I remember mm-hmm. him saying that. Mm-hmm. So he had his life-saving surgery at five and a half months. Okay, It was long. It was mm-hmm. f- five hours. Mm-hmm. And the best thing we saw is when the surgeon came out five hours later with a big smile on his face saying, he's fine. Oh, uh, what a relief, right? I still remember those words. Our surgeon had just such a presence and for him to say he's fine later on during his recovery, because his first surgery was actually three days before Christmas. It was um, Uh. December twenty second. I remember he came out of the CICU Christmas Eve. We spent Christmas in the hospital, but we were able to go home the 26th. Wow, that's a fast recovery. Yeah, he was not in there that long. It was just like four or five days. It was not long. We were very fortunate.
1: That must have made you feel so good. And like you really made a good decision with where you chose to take him. Yes. Yes.
0: Mm -hmm. We were very fortunate, very relieved. And he went home with the NG tube, but after a month, we were able to get him off the tube feeding and he was taking the bottle and his medications were weaned off. He did very well post-operatively. He did very well. And his second surgery, he developed a complication and had a pseudo-aneurysm form, which basically, because of the pressure... Of the conduit, it needed obviously to be taken care of his second surgery, he needed the conduit changed. So his second, his second surgery was when he was three, he was
1: a lot bigger and those conduits don't grow with you. So exactly, even though they put in
0: a decent size he did develop pressure and they had to basically put in another conduit when he was three. Again, he did well. He played baseball. He played basketball. They were in the Catholic Youth Organization League and he did really well with sports and he did well in school. We did do therapy. We did do occupational therapy. We did do speech therapy, but we were blessed to be in a great school community. And then his third surgery was when he was 12. They were going to try to do it by cath and put in a melody valve, Mm -hmm. where it was not open heart. But unfortunately, they were unable to do it. We were devastated, obviously, but they didn't feel like it was safe because of where in the initial repair, there was scar tissue, and they just felt like it was too risky with that particular valve. We hope with medical technology, they'll be able to do it at that point with the melody valve, it just was not able to be done. So he had his third surgery at the age of 12. And that by far was the hardest because he was a preteen and he was aware and they told us that it would be tough. Um, And it was open heart. And it was open heart, exactly. Mm -hmm. And he had had a cardiac MRI right before the cardiac cath, just to kind of know what was going on. And it was not a good experience. He had some anxiety in the actual test Um, from like July until February. He had a cardiac MRI, then a cardiac cath, and then open heart surgery. Um, So yeah, so it was a a lot.
1: And we already know from
0: infancy that he tends to be sensitive to these tests. Exactly. And he had these post-operative fevers where we went to the emergency room three different times because they thought he could have had a subsequent infection like endocarditis. They didn't know. Mm -hmm. So that was traumatic back then, but but three, he didn't remember. Um, We don't think he remembered, but you almost wonder... If you want one, like, some kind of corporeal memory, right? Because again, he was speech delayed. Mm-hmm. So after the third surgery, it was tough. We did really well getting him home, but he at first was afraid to move.
1: Yeah, and, well,
0: it um, hurts. I, exactly. And I'll never forget the principal at our school came and she videotaped all of the classmates saying, Come on, Aww. go, Freddie, Aww. and um, friends of. His wrote letters. I'll never forget that. That really helped him.
2: That's so
0: lovely. Very, very blessed to have such a close community during that recovery period. And he ended up getting the flu post operatively when we were home but they had this sixth grade outdoor experience that he wanted to go to more than ever. And we got him there. He went, it was like three days and he couldn't do certain things at this trip, but he was able to get there. Like he couldn't go zip lining those things after heart surgery. After his surgery, he had another year where he wanted to do baseball and he did another year of basketball, but he has not really done the sports as much. He enjoys music. He plays in the band. So he's kind of done that route. I just watched your physical education by Jennifer Weiner that podcast, uh-huh. <laughs> that was really refreshing because the other day in high school, Freddie had to run the mile. Uh-oh. And <laughs> I've always told him, you've got to advocate for yourself as you get older. Mm-hmm. And he did. He told the gym teacher, I've had heart surgery. And he was very thankful that he told them and he did the mile though. He did it. He did the mile.
1: Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective.
2: please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
1: Before the break, we were talking with Melanie about her older son, Freddie. But in the show intro, we learned that her younger son, Nicholas, was also born with a congenital heart defect. But instead of having the MAPCAS, she had epilepsy to deal with, which... I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you're doing it, but I know that we do what we have to do. So I am dying to know more about Nicholas. Did you find out about Nicholas's tetralogy of flow in utero, just like you did with Freddie?
0: Again, we had our 19 week anatomy ultrasound and we were told that it looked okay. He might have a VSD, but it wasn't a big deal. They weren't totally sure. And then we ended up having a fetal echocardiogram because once you have one child with a heart defect, they do that after your 19 week ultrasound, they do it down the road. Mm -hmm. So we had that. And that's when we found out he did have Tetralogy of Fallot, but but definitely no pulmonary atresia. Ah, Um, So it wasn't as complicated a case of Tetralogy of Fallot, like what Freddie had. Exactly. Um, And I remember the cardiologist said, oh, this will be a breeze compared to what happened with Freddie with his CHD journey. So Um, So when did Nicholas have his first seizure? He had his first seizure after we had gone to Seattle just as a family for a vacation over the summer. And there was a time change and he was three at the time. Oh, wow. And so he'd already had his open heart surgery. Yeah. He, he had had his right? open heart surgery. Exactly. So oh, he had wow. had his open heart surgery. He had his open heart surgery when he was six weeks old.
1: Oh, wow. And so he,
0: much younger
1: than it, a lot. younger. Already. Do you think and that's
0: because times have changed? After the two week postnatal period i think a lot of these kids with tetralogy develop congestive heart failure where they need lasix right and that's what happened with us we had the same uh. issue with the poor weight gain mm-hmm. although this time i didn't want to do the ng tube i had breastfed so i was pumping basically and supplementing for him to gain weight basically sure, for him to have those extra calories exactly i really pushed to have him have the surgery because I knew how hard it was for my oldest. And we were fortunate that the cardiologist in Philadelphia said that really after two weeks, the risk is basically the same with having open heart surgery at six weeks. Wow. That's I had what no he idea. had said. Wow. I think it's like, if you do it after those two weeks, the first okay. two weeks. So yeah.
1: give them a couple of weeks to just be outside of mama and exactly to have his own equilibrium and all that. That makes sense to me. So you thought things are great. He's three years right, old. He, Let's take a trip it, to Seattle.
0: Exactly. And we got home and he was taking a nap and we had had some painting done in our home and he was upstairs in his room and he had woken up from his nap and he just did not look right. I could tell something was not right. He was drooling. He Just wasn't himself, but he wasn't actively convulsing. We need to wake him up a little bit. Let's give him a little bath. And I'm holding him and he just was not waking up. And I'm like, this is not right. So we got him right out and we put him on the bed and turned him on the side. And at that point, I'm like, I think he's having a seizure, even though it was, it was not the typical tonic clinic or grand mal. It was mm-hmm. partial and focal. So it wasn't as obvious at first. So we called 911 and our painter had to run down the street because we live in a cul-de-sac. They went down the wrong road Hello. and um, came in and they ended up having to give him Versed to stop the seizure. They say if it goes over five minutes and it had. Mm-hmm. So we went to the emergency room and we were in the ambulance. They ended up having to do a CAT scan and the head CAT scan basically showed maybe a possible cyst, but nothing else because they always want to rule out is there a tumor? Sure. So we ended up being discharged with just this rescue med, which is called Diastat, Mm -hmm. which you give rectally if they have a seizure greater than five minutes. So we ended up going to see a neurologist. We decided to go to Philadelphia because we knew he was going to need an MRI. And he had an MRI there a few months later. And the MRI was okay. So we were very relieved that sure. they didn't even see the cyst. Oh, so well, that's a relief. So maybe it was just a glitch on the we thought it was screen. a fluke thing. Yeah, they, yeah. But there was no fever or anything. it was strange. So then we fast forward seven months mm-hmm. in the rec program at preschool. He had started mid year and he was coughing a little bit, but he was okay. No fever. We sent him to school and my husband picked him up and he kind of had fallen asleep in the class, like Mm -hmm. on the teacher's lap. Hmm. We thought that was a little odd. And when we brought him back in the house, my husband knew he wasn't right in the car seat. He just wasn't acting (sighs) the same, same thing, but the arm was involved Mm -hmm. and the face was twitching and he just was not aware. He was not conscious. Eyes were not focused or anything. So we put him again on his left side and I gave him the diastat because it had been longer than five minutes and Mm -hmm. the ambulance came. And this time it was very quick because this was his second. So they just kind of watched him. They didn't even do blood work this time in the emergency room. And and so after you
1: gave him that medicine, Melanie, did he
0: respond? He responded. Okay. So you
1: weren't so scared. And then when the paramedics arrived, they saw that
0: he was responding. Right. He was post-ictal, not a hundred percent there, but he had stopped seizing and he looked like he had been given something to help stop the seizures. Right.
1: Right. So did they take him to the hospital anyway to do some assessments?
0: They did just to kind of watch him come off the diastat basically. Sure. Sure. We were maybe hooked up to the monitor, but no blood work. We were there just until he was able to drink and be more like himself. Mm-hmm. And then we went back home and this was March 6th of when the pandemic started. So this it was like was it right 2020 or 2019?
1: 2019,
0: 2019, because it was goodness. seven months after the first. So okay. it was like right before all this started, mm. And after the second seizure, they had recommended he go on Capra. And he wasn't five yet at the time. He was four. And being in healthcare, I know that the brain is developing so quickly until the age of five. So I didn't want to give him any medication if I could avoid it. Sure. And so we decided not to. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic hit. And We were supposed to get another EEG. We ended up not doing it and we didn't know would he have another one. So 15 months later, he ended up having the third seizure July 9th, 2021. He had gotten into our bed and woke up early and he just was not himself he was gazing to the ceiling and wasn't looking at me when i was saying his name he was arch so i yelled for my husband because he had gotten up already before this all happened and i said he's having a seizure get the diastat and again it was the same 15 minutes but because he had grown so much the diastat didn't get rid of the seizure. We called 911 and he had stopped seizing once we gave the diastat. But on the way to the hospital, he started seizing again and came out of it. So they had put the sirens on like halfway to the hospital. And then he ended up getting to the emergency room. And when he was being assessed, he had another seizure. Right there in front of everybody. In front of everybody. Oh, Melody. And and I was by myself with the staff. Basically, my husband was getting my other two okay. And that's when he had the fourth seizure. And they ended up having to give him Ativan by IV. And they then gave him the capra later once he was stabilized. But they had said they were going to have to possibly transfer us down to the city and be admitted into the ICU. You know, because they thought that it could be, like, where he was having seizures and they didn't even know.
1: Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women
2: for women in the CHD community.
1: Melanie, you left us on the edge of our seat. So they have him in the hospital. He had a seizure right there in front of everybody. And what happened next?
0: They gave him the Ativan intravenously and his oxygen level was obviously low. So they were giving him some oxygen to help maintain his breathing. And they you thought they were going to have to transfer him down into the ICU. Thankfully, he stabilized and we did go down to the city via another ambulance, (laughs) but he was stable at the time. But they ended up just having him be in the emergency room. We were seen by neurology in the hospital downtown and they thought he was okay. They obviously had had a lot of medication, so he wasn't waking up like the staff had wanted him to in the emergency room. So the resident did their neurology trick of getting them to wake up like a little pinch. Mm -hmm. And he did. So we were thankful. Mm -hmm. So we were basically discharged from the hospital in the city at the end of the day. We were there waiting for him to wake up and be able to drink and at least urinate. And so we were able to go home with Capra. And then we found out later when we followed up with neurology, I think it was two weeks later, the dose of the Capra actually didn't have to be as high as it was. So we were able to go down on the dose And we found out that the diastat that we had been given initially when he had his first seizure, the dose now, because he had grown, should have been higher. Sure. Um, So that explained why the The second seizure happened so fast. He had this right when he had the third seizure, then he had the other one in the emergency room. Mm -hmm. This was just July. He's had some behavior changes with the capra, I think it's enhanced some of his behavior. So we've added what they call vitamin B6, which some Mm -hmm. people might know about. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to help with the behavior. He can't bring himself back down if he gets upset or overexcited. Mm -hmm. We're basically in the waiting game. It's it's been two weeks today that we started the B6. So you have
1: Freddie, who's had multiple heart procedures and had to have another valve replacement. And then you have your son, Nicholas, who his heart surgery was pretty much a breeze compared to what Freddie had to go through. But now you're having to deal with all of these seizures with him. And in the middle, we have Alexandra, who's heart healthy, but she has these two brothers who are living with chronic illness. How has having these two children with chronic illness affected your
0: family? Alexandra, she's our princess, we say we call her the (laughs) rose between the thorns. And uh, I think it's been tough. Obviously, she has a great group of friends. And she's been able to make it work. And we live in a great neighborhood. And we're very fortunate that She has other things in her life that are centered for her. I think sometimes when she was younger, I think she didn't feel like maybe she got the attention because everyone always asks, oh, how's Freddie? How's Nicholas? And and she's like, wait a minute, but she enjoys theater. So she's found an outlet with theater and she isn't really the sports kid. She did play some basketball as well, but has really enjoyed theater. That's her outlet. Sure. It's hard. I think there's a big age difference. She's 13 sure. and Nicholas is five. So mm-hmm. I think they all think, what are people looking at? I think we have a little of that. Like if he's not acting like a typical five-year-old she's a little sensitive sometimes but is she motherly toward him she is she's Mm -hmm. very gentle she reads to him she helps because I do work two days outside the home so Mm -hmm. when I'm working she definitely helps more with Nicholas so Mm -hmm. they definitely have a bond for sure That's so sweet.
1: Has having two sons with CHD and one having epilepsy as well changed your family dynamic? And I almost feel stupid asking this question because this is your family dynamic. It's not like it was (laughs) different and now it's changed. This has always been your family
0: dynamic. It gives us perspective at a time where there's so much uncertainty in the world. We feel like We know what's important in our life and we don't let it stop us. We still travel. We're very blessed to be able to travel. Mm -hmm. We try to not. Let us stop us, but Nicholas doesn't like to wear a mask, so that has kind of given us issues like being able to go on a plane or certain right there's mask mandates when that was going on, like being able to go to a museum or those mm-hmm. things that we enjoy. But you know, we did a lot of outdoor things, hiking, and we've basically made the best of our situation. There are stressful times, but I definitely stress to my children that somebody always has something. Yes. There's always, I say this. Saved it to my kids. (laughs) Exactly. You might not know it, but there's always someone that's in a worse situation or Mm -hmm. a better situation. But you know, we have to be happy where we are. Right.
1: Well, it sounds to me like God gave you children that he knew had a mom who would be loving and understanding and still help them reach their full potential, despite the extremely challenging medical experiences that you've had to go through. And little Alexandra is such a gift to have her in the middle with no heart problems. Has that enhanced your
0: experience as a mom? I'm so blessed to have both boys and a girl. And yes, I cherish the fact that she does not have a heart defect or a medical issue right now. Mm -hmm. I was able to have the typical birth and that whole newborn experience. I feel very fortunate because I know some aren't able to have that quote unquote typical birth. Um, There's
1: that fear, Melanie, that, oh no, is there something wrong with me? Am I not able to have
2: a healthy child?
1: And you know, you are able to. Exactly. That is a huge blessing and a huge gift. But I'm so happy you said that the boys are gifts as well, because I think they are. And I think God has a purpose for those boys and has a purpose for you to have this special family. I imagine, especially in your parish, that when there is another family that is dealing with issues, You're that resource that
0: people can go to. I've tried to be involved in conquering CHD and mended little hearts. We made some blankets, but as far as the church community, I haven't met anyone really with a heart defect through the church community, but more through. I'm surprised. More through just our community. So what
1: advice do you have for parents who have children with multiple medical
0: issues? I think you have to advocate and never be afraid to advocate, never feel guilty to advocate, whether it's through healthcare or at their school, because that's your job as a parent is Mm. to do what you feel is best for your child. Never be afraid to question or say you don't understand or call multiple people because there's always the right person to get you in touch with someone that can answer your questions. We're lucky
1: we live in a country where we have so many options.
0: Because not everybody
1: has that. I think that's really an important message to share with everybody. Well, Melanie, I cannot believe that our time is already up. This has just gone by so fast. Thank you so much for sharing so much personal information and sharing some of your struggles with us. I'm hoping that somebody else who's going through something similar can listen to what you've gone through and hear how you are doing and how are the boys today? We're
0: very blessed. Freddie's got his 16 year old appointment coming up with cardiology where they might do a stress test. So we're gearing up for that in December and yep. Nicholas goes every two years. So okay. he'll go too. So it'll be a your day at the hospital.
1: I wish you the best of luck. Maybe you can get in a visit to the zoo or an aquarium or something fun after all of it, that. So it's not such a traumatic day to remember. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program today, Melanie. I really enjoyed talking to you and learning more about your family. Thank you for having me. Friends, if you've enjoyed this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, please consider becoming a patron of our program. For the cost of a pizza, you could be a patron for an entire year. We have all kinds of benefits for those of you who would like to support this program. Just head on over to patreon.com slash heart to heart. And you can learn more about being part of our team. That does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. And remember, my friends, you are not alone.
2: Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time.